Well, it's time for the only show that doesn't care about ratings, Witness Radio, with your host, Ryan Muniak. Merry Christmas, everyone, and welcome to Witness Radio, the only show that doesn't care about ratings because our sole purpose is to save souls. On purpose. Get more episodes at witnesstalkradio.org and find us on Facebook. Since it's Christmas Eve, I thought it would be fun if we went somewhere a bit warmer. So let's go to American River College in sunny California. Jacob, our correspondent with CCN, got into a conversation with Andrew and Ryan that will really make you cherish the Savior of the world. Andrew is a false convert that hangs on to every word coming out of Ryan's mouth, and Ryan just so happens to be an atheist that sincerely hates the God he claims doesn't exist. You're listening to Witness Radio. Uh, well, we're on campus today asking people, what do you think happens when somebody dies? reference to what? Like what happens to their soul or? Yeah, if you will. What do you believe? Well, what do you believe? I don't know. I'm conflicted right now. Um, I was raised in the church and my career is sending me down a science-heavy path and I have a lot of questions that I'll never have answers for. Okay. Um, so you grew up in the church. What is, what's that, uh, what does that tell you? And then what is, what is the science telling you that's different? Um, so, I grew up uh, like Christian Catholic, and the beliefs that we're taught tell us that your soul is eternal, and that uh, when you die, your body is gone, but your soul uh, goes to the afterlife. Um, I guess that's as general as it needs to be. Um, and science doesn't acknowledge the existence of a soul. Um, you're just like every other living thing. You're here, and you're gone. Okay, so what, uh, say you're, you're kind of in between right now. Uh, do you have any more thoughts, maybe what happens to the soul after, after the, in the afterlife? You're inferring that I believe in it, though. Well, I, I'm asking for your thoughts, yeah. I'd like to punch my grandma in the that ruined everything you're doing? <laughs> well, we are, are going to have to edit that out because we are on the radio, but uh, radio? yeah, we are. Sorry, folks. <laughs> what are you guys talking about? Well, we're, we're on campus today asking people, what do you think happens when somebody dies? I think that... I think that consciousness is 100% contingent on the brain. I think that the um, neurology is pretty much 100% conclusive, and I have no delusions that neurology answers all the questions that we have about consciousness, but my understanding is that without the actual physical structure of the brain, there is no consciousness. In fact, to take it a step further, if you damage any section of your brain, you'll find that you have a lack of function in that area. There is no conclusive evidence, <clears throat> near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, none of this type of stuff convince me in any form or fashion that it's legitimate. I don't think there's anything that could be called scientifically legitimate about it. There have been plenty of um, experiments run where, you know, random numbers and images are generated on laptop computers that are laid flat on top of a cabinet in um, operating rooms. And people that claim to have out-of-body experiences will virtually, without exclusion, be unable to 
answer questions about what those images were, what those numbers were. Um, at the same time, um, there have been a lot of investigations into near-death experiences where people have claimed to see items that they couldn't have otherwise seen, and most of those have been debunked fairly easily. In fact, that's that's probably, I would say that's an angle that the theists and the, um, the NDers and the community of people who are claiming without exception that yes, the soul absolutely survives death and the personality survives and, uh, the death of the brain. I would say that's an angle they shouldn't use. I would stop doing the near-death experience and the out-of-body experience stuff because you can actually stimulate certain parts of the brain. And there's a video on YouTube of, of a guy named Dr. Michael Shermer, who's a skeptic himself and, and, and an atheist, going through experimentation where he has magnets that strike certain areas of his brain and they cause him to have a sort of out-of-body experience. But sure, yeah, I, I have looked into that and, and I agree with you. It, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's very inconsistent. So you think it's just just gone? Um, the other thing I'd point out is that I think the idea of duality or the soul surviving death um, raises more questions than it answers because if my soul survives death, what version of my soul is it? Because if I'm 85 years old and I have Alzheimer's, proteins are breaking down in my brain and I can't even think straight, is it that version of me that goes into eternity? Is it the six-month-old version of me? Is it what version of me that, that survives into eternity? Was it me when I was sane and I hadn't lost my mind? Or is it me in an insane state, which is presumably pretty miserable, right? Well, I, I think I think people would say that the, that the soul represents the, the knowledge and personality of a person. And so if I have this aggregate knowledge and I have this personality that's been formed through a bunch of life experiences, at every point in my life, that personality is representative of that knowledge and those experiences all the way until I die. So the question still stands. If I'm 80-some-odd years old, that is still my genuine, legitimate personality and my genuine, legitimate um, mental state. So is that the version of me that survives into eternity? That's a good question. Not enough answers. Yeah, I, I think that you, I think it is smart to stick with um, the most elegant answers. I, I tend to be kind of an Occam's razorist, not with everything, not with every last thing, but in most cases, you know, ninety-nine some odd percent of the time, I think that the simplest answer is usually the right one. And if you're going to say that the soul survives death, I think you would have to have plenty more empirical evidence, at least some empirical evidence. And I, I, to my knowledge, there really isn't any. It's mostly speculation and conjecture at this point in human understanding. Okay, so can I, uh, can I ask you, what, what's your first name? Ryan. Ryan, and what's yours? Andrew. Andrew. So, you know, it would be it would be kind of hard to have empirical evidence of what happens after death unless somebody comes back from the dead, don't you think? No, because empirical evidence doesn't necessarily have to be physical. It could just be an accurate account of, like I said, something that they saw while interfacing with the natural world in a spiritual state. If they existed on some spiritual plane and the legends about ghosts and free-floating souls that go to some astral plane somewhere are true, I think the assumption is, according to at least most religions or most ideas that we have about the soul, we, we, we'd still see some sort of... There was that boy from the Midwest recently. They made a movie about it. Um, I can't remember what it was called, but I know I saw it. Um, and the boy knew things that would have been impossible for him to know. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that's evidence of anything, but... I think it would be evidence. If you if you have someone come along who knows things they could not possibly have known and all possible routes to that knowledge are eliminated, um, then I would, I'd be on board for having a discussion about that. But 
I think it's important, like it is with everything, to listen to the debunk. What's the debunk? Listen to the skeptical side. Listen to the account of the people who investigate that and say, no, this is this is because, like I said, I just haven't come across any accounts yet uh, that I that I found can't be debunked. But I'm open to it, just like everyone else is. I mean, you, unless you're a hardcore, dogmatic type of personality, I think we're all open to evidence that suggests a life after death. You know, I mean, it'd be nice. Wouldn't it, it would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Unless you're going to hell, I mean, that's, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, you know, most of us like to think that there's some hope is a beautiful thing. Yeah. So I'm open to it, but I just, uh, in all, I can't be intellectually honest and say that the evidence at this point persuades me. So I, I think that, you know, if once you once you damage your brain to a point beyond function, um, that that effect on your consciousness is permanent. Um, a pause button that says you get the best version of you of, of your soul anyway once you die. I, I feel like I just find that kind of strange, suspicious. Yeah, where where did you hear that? That's what that's what I want I've ever heard. That's kind of kind of the idea that is portrayed through the church is that uh, you get the best of yourself when you're dead. It's not, okay. It's not that same wretched, dirty, old you. Yeah, and if we're talking, I mean, if we're going the religion route, I was just talking about. The idea of the soul surviving death. If you want to talk about religion specifically and Western monotheism, presumably since we're standing in the United States, yeah, since we find ourselves in a culture that's sort of inundated with those ideas, <clears throat> again, I think you, you raise more questions than you answer because it begs the question if there is a God, and the God of Western monotheism specifically, uh, who supersedes time and space and all these kinds of things, how is it that while he had not yet created organic life in this universe but could see the future he chose to create life knowing that even just one of his subjects of his quote unquote children would uh, burn in a furnace for eternity let's say after they die I mean that's I, I get that that's only one philosophy of, of Islam and Christianity that, that it's separation from yeah, God it's not, it's not like torture in a, a pit of fire it's just that the idea that I was taught is that uh, hell is is more a separation from God, and that's like a lack of uh, true happiness in your life. And you, yeah, and, I'm, and, and right, and there's usually a continuum. And I think religious people will fall somewhere on that spectrum. Hell is either total extinction of your consciousness, total annihilation of the person, or the personality does survive death and is in some sort of some degree of torment, even if it's just objection from God. Or, you know, from God, or whatever you want to call it. Again, I mean, if, if God can see the future and he knows this is going to happen to even just one soul, let alone billions, let alone possibly tens of billions maybe, I mean, I don't know the, the, the entire population of the earth from the beginning of the human race until now, but... I've heard of estimates of about 25 billion people. Okay, so the majority of those people are going to face some sort of negative consequence for their failure to access the quote-unquote correct God, the correct version of God. If he knew that that was going to be the outcome of his creating them, how is he not sadistic? If we had, for example, an earthly parent who knew that even just one of their children was going to be burned in a furnace or be separate from everything pleasurable and holy for all eternity, wouldn't we call them sadistic if they went ahead and created those children anyway? I would think that it was. And I, probably not a word you should throw in that mix. It means something very different. Or, or okay, total spiritual fulfillment. <laughs> so you... You say you 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 spent some time in the church. What do you what what did they what did they teach you about that? About an afterlife? Yeah. I thought I covered that. Um, uh, 
you know, I really, um, yeah, we did kind of cover that. Uh, I mean, more specifically about uh, uh, about people going to hell versus not going to hell. Well, that was the, the there's a, a Calvinist ideologies and there's, um, I think it's Ar- Arminiist. And uh, essentially that's that's kind of what you have with the separation from God versus losing your, your, uh, uh, your saved state. You're no longer worthy, so you don't go to heaven, versus the, the heaven that you are separate from God, or, or maybe that your seat is farther from. And I, I, I don't know where this, this kind of like cosmic theistic scale comes from, but I'm sure it's just one of man's little ideas that allow them to be more happens to be the one closest to the throne, right? You know, my mom works for a church. My brother moved up to Sacramento to start a church. Um, yeah, I'm just generally conflicted. My, my, my biggest question is, is what does he get out of it? You mean God? Yeah. Why? Did, has anybody tried to answer that question for you? Not, not, not with a good enough answer. Just because, because, and that's really all it sums up to, because... That doesn't sound like a very good answer. It's not. Yeah, if we take, a, if we take the view of this sort of um, intimately connected patriarchal God of Western monotheism, we get a picture of a God who's sort of parent-like in his approach, his relationship to his creation, right? He's a father. Yeah, he's most definitely a father. So, if with that being the case, how could he, in good conscience, let people be separate from him? That doesn't make sense to me. If he really has all power, truly is, uh, yeah. If he truly is omnipotent, it's a test. Yeah. How, how does he qualify? How could he live out eternity in peace? Knowing Qu- qualify how? Well, by, I mean, by believing, rather than just being saved. Or being saved. Saved from what? Eternal separation. Uh, well, well, I am a Christian. And uh, uh, and I do believe that uh, uh, that the, the I believe that the Bible tells us what the standard is that God's going to use to judge people. Uh, it's what what in the Bible calls what people call the Ten Commandments. You familiar with those at all? Yeah, that's uh, Old Testament though. Um, technically, if you're a Christian, you, it's, you're not you're not bound. Specifically by those rules for judgment, it's more like a, like a be like Jesus kind of thing rather than uh, Old Testament law. Uh, you shouldn't eat shellfish and you shouldn't do a lot of other things if you are going to abide by Old Testament law. Sure, there's a lot of laws in the Bible. So the, the Ten Commandments is just a just an example of them. There's people have cataloged you know anywhere between like 550 to 700. 613 seems to be the most common number. Uh, I've not counted them myself ones are important because man felt like doing that. I mean, I'm willing to grant all of them. I'm willing to grant the whole Christian ball of wax. Okay, so you have God and you have the Old Testament law and people aren't able to measure up to... Okay. Okay. So so you have this God, right? And he creates his creation and he gives them standards by which to live and, you know, according to I think it's Romans, what is it, Romans 5.8, everyone's fallen short and I don't know, something there's... Anyway, the point is, 
I don't memorize scriptures. I don't care to. But the point is that there's a standard, and you can't measure up to it. And so Jesus comes, and he sort of pays the penalty for us. And he's the one who has lived up to the standard. And, you know, his death is propitiation for our sins. Okay, fine. I'm willing to grant that whole ball of wax. That's great. That's So we have a God who's given us his standards of right and wrong, right? You would agree with that as a Christian? Yes. What's interesting is that he violates his own standards really nonstop. I mean, constantly through the Old Testament. You see him commanding Joshua to slaughter every last member of Amalekite society down to infant children and old people. I can't think of any circumstance. And, and of course, the sort of the, the knee-jerk Christian pirouette to that is, well, you've got to look at it in context. God had to do that. He had to command Joshua to kill infants and to kill old people because they were so wicked and they were sinful. Well, first of all, there's no archaeological evidence that any society behaved with much different morality than any, any other ancient society. There, you get, I agree completely. You get a pretty ubiquitous sense of morality from the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the, you know, whatever, all the ites. And the Israelites, there, there isn't a, a big distinction there. So, um, but that being said, even even if there was some you know great righteous ancient society called Israel that was this powerhouse economic military cultural force in the Middle East, which for my money isn't really the case, um, I think that the I, I think the Bible is pretty clear that Israel was never this holy righteous kingdom. Yeah. Okay. So we agree on that. So, um, but my point is that that that. So this God, he gives his standards of right and wrong to these people. Um, he commands, at one point, he commands Moses and the Israelites to go through the Israelite camp and to slaughter their brothers and their fathers and these kinds of things. And again, there are. There are very impressive, very intelligent, very well thought out uh, Christian ac mental acrobatics that you could do to make this stuff come right in your mind. But the point is, he promises them a great material reward for going through their camp and slaughtering their own brothers, as he puts it, speaking in first person, Yahweh. They're... Their own, slaughtering their own brothers and their own children. Uh, again, I can't think of a context, because context is the great silver arrow in in the quiver of, of every Christian, right? Well, you got to look at it in context. This is what was going on, and this is why God required this. Okay, well, I can't think of any context, not one, where it's okay to kill infant children. And to bring that question home, to bring... That uh, maybe, maybe God's more concerned with eternal life than he is with physical life. Yeah, that's one of the great Christian pirouettes, I'm sure. And uh, again, if that is the case, then why is he creating people who are going to go to hell to begin with? I mean, if you really want to... If you really want to play that card, God has to abide by that standard also. If he's, if, he, if you're saying he's concerned with the big eternal picture, well, let's see him behave like he's concerned with the big eternal picture himself. And, and it doesn't stop there. Whether you want to say that Levitical law was a product of the minds and the thoughts and the prejudices and the biases and these things of the ancient Israelites, or you want to say, no, they were mandated by God directly to whoever wrote them down. Whatever stance you want to take on Levitical law, the point is Exodus 21, 20 through 21 says that a man can legally, quote-unquote legally, beat his male or female slave to death with a rod as long as that and more. Again, this is a morally repugnant, retarded, clumsy, and terrible book. To so you've gone from saying that God doesn't exist to he's morally repugnant? Yeah, I mean, I don't see any evidence whatsoever that the Christian God does exist. You and I would disagree on that. But if he did, he would have to be the most reprehensible monster who would embarrass even the most ambitious psychopath with his behavior. Okay, so, but isn't, uh, uh, the more important question really isn't, uh, does God break his laws, but, but is God really going to, uh, to judge us for breaking those laws? So whatever you, whatever you might think about him, it seems to me that the most important thing for us is what's going to happen to us. Compare us to someone who can't follow their own rules. 
well, it's hypocritical, but if the consequences are pretty severe, and it seems like they are, then isn't it still something we should look at? Depends on what you believe the consequences truly are, whether you're burning in a pit of fire or you're just farther away from him in this grand stadium that is heaven. Okay. So, the, the Bible says that, uh, that all liars have a part in the lake of fire. So, uh, it's hard to, hard to imagine that means anything other than a lake of fire. I can't remember what chapter it's in or what verse, it is, what verse it's in, but he promises the Israelites some major victory. Oh, man, I wish I could remember chapter and verse. He promises some major victory if they do X, Y, and Z, and they do X, Y, and Z, and then he doesn't give it to them. Um, I mean, <laughs> I think you could, again, I mean, you're... A lot of this is geniusly written, but then there are just so many logical inconsistencies and holes in the whole thing, and that's part of... It's part of my my doubt, I guess. Okay. So, um, how honest is the Christian God if we're talking about honesty? I mean, it says carte blanche several times with no equivocations that if you pray for these things according to my will, right? Things that that are that are incontrovertibly in line with the Christian God's will. If you pray for those things, they will be done. There's no qualifiers in, in many of these claims from Jesus. They will be done. Yeah, just, you just, and, and a lot of people pray selfishly. Um, it, you can ask for things, but essentially, you really should just be praying for God's will to be done. At least this is kind of what I've been taught. Like I said, you can ask for stuff, but there's no guarantee in that. And then what's the point of prayer if, if it's God's will? The, the Bible does say if you pray according to God's will, then you'll get what you pray for, but... Uh, you know, there are times when we don't know what's according to God's will. Right, and then it says elsewhere that, it, that it's it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And so, That's right. Yeah, and so with that being the case, you can pray and pray all day long for the conversion of unsaved people. You can pray for more temporal things like the curing of cancer. These things are presumably in line with God's will, right? The, a, a, a revive, a mighty revival of the Christian religion, all these kinds of things. And you'll get one of four answers. You'll get yes, no, maybe, or wait, right? Those are pretty much accepted to be the four answers you can get. The interesting thing about that is that you get the same exact four answers the same percentage of the time by praying to a can of tuna fish. So how honest is God, really, since he's promised these things and you don't see them happening statistically more often than if you were to pray to my grandmother's toilet? Well, again, the, the issue comes back to, um, to is it true? You know, is is the Bible true? And because if it is, then and the consequences are, are much higher uh, by by not believing in God than they are by not believing in the toilet. Fear. Believe because you should fear Him. Because yeah, that's you, what you just said. How could you simultaneously love and fear Well, I mean, just like a father, you know, a father will will give you a good whipping, but you know, he's there for your good. But like I said, to believe, to have faith in something, simply because the consequences are so great. I, be, I don't believe that that's the right way to believe in anything. But you said father. We're not dealing with a father here. We're dealing with somebody who's going to lock you in hell for all of eternity. I don't know any father, who an earthly father. I, I can't even imagine somebody who, who is truly and, and totally intellectually disconnected from his or her sense of right and wrong, who would even hold a child's hand to a burning stove for a lengthy period of time. I mean, you, at some point your empathy kicks in. You hear the screaming and yelling and you say, I can't do this. And, and the argument is always, well, God is righteous. God is 100%. Well, is he? 
because he looks to me like a, nothing more than a petty bipolar all it all it takes is for him to say that he is and there are too many people who accept that yeah nobody questions what really is righteous yeah no and that's a great point. so what is righteous i don't know but to, uh, when it's when you need to answer that it's up to him and we'll never have an answer for that well i admit being a kind of was right it, sure Do no harm. That's what's right. Yeah, I don't know what's right either, but I'll tell you what's not right is the in the Old Testament of the Bible. I mean, imagine if that was the God of the universe. Imagine if that God story ever. It is. It's a very bloody story. You wouldn't embrace this religion had you not been primed and, and groomed to. The, the truth is... given the best parts. Yeah. It's, it's essentially how it's, it's proposed to everyone. We'll, we'll show you the best, and if you like it, then come on down. But, I mean, I, I really think that you need to compare the good and the bad and the ugly all at once. You can't just show someone your best features. Look, if you were to go on a date and you're actually a serial killer and you tell that, you know, you've got a beautiful smile and you're, you're a hunky and, you, you know, you get this girl, but then she finds out the truth, what do you expect her to do? That's a good point. Um... You know, guys, uh, I, we are on the radio here, and we're kind of starting to run out of time. So uh, uh, thank you guys for talking with me. What was your names again? Andrew. Andrew, and you were? I'm Ryan. I just wanted to point out one more thing. Sure. Um, I wanted to follow up with what he said because that's such a strong point that I think people need to hear and consider and be intellectually honest with themselves about and not beat around the bush but really take to heart. And that's that, for example, if you I, – I don't know why, but the book of Jeremiah popped in my head. It says it's in some – again, I don't remember chapter and verse, but it says, you know, but I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope and a future and to make you prosper, not to harm you, something along those lines in Jeremiah. Right? That's probably the most misquoted verse in the Bible. Yeah. Why don't we turn to the, the, the verse in Jeremiah where God um, instructs his followers to kill children for sins their parents committed. This behavior is explicitly forbidden in modern times by the Geneva Convention. You would never go into modern warfare and, and take captive or kill or slaughter the children of enemies for things that they did. It's unconscionable and it's sick. And our sense of morality has evolved to the point where we no longer do things like that. Yet it's instructed by the Old Testament God. Without any spiritual guidance, it's something that any human can come yeah. to a conclusion with. I don't feel the need to worship a God who instructs those kinds of things. He's both clumsy and pernicious. He's, he's, he's stupid and he's mean. Did listening to this interview make your blood boil? Or did it make your heart break? I had both happen to me. Ryan's comments were purposely constructed to get Christians angry. I mean, think about it. Would you be okay with someone saying such derogatory comments about your wife or children? Of course not. You'd want to punch the guy in the mouth. On the other hand, however, Ryan's comments showed just how much he had been hurt by hypocrites in church preaching a false gospel. You see, the more hurt a person gets, the angrier the atheist. I also noticed that Andrew seemed to be interested in the things of God until Ryan showed up. Then it was like leaving a sugar trail for ants to follow. Andrew was eating up everything Ryan poured out. Not because Ryan's arguments were good, they can all be refuted just by a simple Google search, but because Andrew really wanted nothing to do with the God of the Bible and wanted excuses to run from God. I believe this further proves that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6.12. I say that because Ryan showed up at the perfect time to distract Andrew from hearing the truth.
and these two had never met before. You're listening to Windows Radio. I thought Jacob did a great job for one of his first interviews because he realized that the conversation was going nowhere, so he stopped the interview and he withheld the gospel. Jesus warned in Matthew 7 verse 6, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. We don't give the good news if they don't see a need for it. Of course, we do still try to get gospel tracts into their hands, and Jacob did that when he gave each of them his business card with a gospel message on the back. Imagine Jesus walking onto your local college campus. What would he say? Would he be like Matthew chapter 9, seeing the people harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? And say, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. At Christian Collegiate Network, we are sending workers into the harvest. We are training students how to proclaim the glorious gospel, not only in the way that they live their lives, but how to speak to the campus community about the gospel. If you want to support our ministry at Christian Collegiate Network by becoming a campus leader or financially, go to changeyourcampus.com. Christian Collegiate Network, changeyourcampus.com. Please pray for Andrew and Ryan because they need the gospel, and it's not too late as long as there's breath in their lungs. In fact, Pray for all the students that Christian Collegiate Network reaches out to, and pray also for the campus missionaries. You hear what they're up against every week on this show. So next week, I'll be anywhere else but on the airwaves, because I'm taking a week off. So until next year, the fields are ripe for the harvest. So what are you waiting for? Get out there and share your faith. Merry Christmas, and God bless you. Witness Radio has been brought to you by the Muniac family.